0: copy God's Word. Once you to find the book of Genesis chapter 3 tonight. If you're new to the Bible, you came on a good night. We're in the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be at. We're going to start anyway. And um, I don't know if you've come in here um, and you've had an experience like mine. Hopefully you haven't, but at least you've probably been, um, you've been approached to do something like this. Um, how many of y'all been scammed before? Anybody been scammed? You've just been scammed, man. It's too good to be true. And you like, you gave them money and you didn't get what you were hoping to get, man. You've been scammed. I got scammed a few years ago. So frustrated about this. Even have to relive the story to tell you about it. I was wanting to buy a MacBook, and I found one on Craigslist. (laughs) And it looked like this. This is a Black Beauty. Woo! Just still brings back It's beautiful. Beautiful MacBook. Craigslist loaded with all kinds of software for $400. And so I started messaging the person on Craigslist. And come to find out, the guy that was selling the MacBook, he was out of town. Actually, he was traveling internationally for some business. And he just needed me to wire him or uh, do a, I think it's called a like a, a cashier's check, $400, and, and use the DHL, which is like an international shipping service, and just send that money over to him in England. And then he would arrange to have somebody ship the computer to me. Now, as I retell this story, I'm like, what was I thinking, you know? I just wanted the MacBook so bad. I wanted Black Beauty so bad, you know. And I, so I just turned a blind eye to all the red flags. And, and I guess I was thinking, well, my dad traveled internationally. And so if you travel international for business, this is, must be common. He just needs the money. And so I did the whole cashier's check, DHL, and, and sent it off. And then no MacBook ever came. I was um, actually thinking about this story, so I looked through my email account, and I was able to locate the emails, and it's this sad attempt of like, I send the money, I'm like, hey, bro, money's coming your way. And then next day, you see an email that's like, uh, hey, I still haven't got the shipping confirmation, could you send me the shipping confirmation? Next day, there's an email that's like, hey, I think something's wrong from me. And then the next day, there's an email that says, may the Lord have mercy on you. You scammer, you know, you conned me, that sort of thing. And man, this guy, he had convinced me to send him money and he had promised me something that he had no intentions on delivering. And, and he, he, had, he had fooled me and I felt so duped and so defeated. I still do today. And the reason why I start there tonight is because this is exactly how the devil works that the devil is the OG scam artist. And tonight, every one of us has come in here and the devil's running some sort of Ponzi scheme on us. He's running some sort of scam on us. And, and right now, the enemy is promising you and me something. He's saying like, I, I'm gonna give you this if you'll give me that. I'm gonna give you life in this if you'll just give me your in that. And he is scamming all of us that he's asking us to pay for something, but in the end, he's not promising to give us what he is intending to give us. Like tonight, some of you coming into this space and and the enemy's scamming you in your sex life. And you think, okay, I'm gonna give myself away to this person and it's gonna bring me intimacy and it's gonna bring me closer. But in fact, research says that if if you go after your sex life in a way that's contrary to God's plan, it's not going to end well for you. But a lot of us, we, we still believe the lie that there's going to be intimacy on the other side of that occasion. Some of you, maybe you come in here and, and the enemy's scamming you in your social life. And you think, okay, if I put myself out there in a certain way on TikTok, if I put myself out there in a certain way on Bumble, if I put myself out there in a certain way at the bar, if I put myself out there in a certain way at the party, then everybody is going to be like, we got to invite her, we got to invite him. And the enemy is scamming you, and you are thinking that if, that if I just keep turning up and turning up and turning up, then more and more people are going to follow me or like me. And it's a lie. The, the others of you, you coming here and you're being scammed in in how you're pursuing security. You know, so you're working hard right now, and you're you're buying into whatever crypto or whatever day trade, whatever. You just like you just like you're you're I'm gonna get security in my money. And I and that's what's gonna allow me to have a, a place of peace, and I'm gonna I'm gonna arrive, I'm gonna live in that neighborhood, and you're being scammed tonight. In fact, all of us are being scammed, all of us are being sold a lie in one way or another tonight and tonight I want to help you be able to identify the scam. We're in the series called Voices, and what we said last week is that the voices that you listen to will determine the version of life that you live. And just to kind of show you our cards, just to be straight up, but we want you to follow God's voice, all right? Like we, if you're here, this is a church, and so we read from God's book, and we are big fans of Jesus here. We sing songs to him, and, and we, we just believe that God, he, he designed the universe, and so he kind of knows what he's doing. And, and we also believe that, that Jesus, he, he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he has a purpose and a calling on your life, and his version of life for you is the best version of life that you can live. And, and so we want you in this series to kind of be able to, to go, okay, God's voice is speaking to me. How do I follow his voice? But what we said last week is that there's, there's a strange voice as well that's speaking. And, and that there are all of these voices and the volume of life is turned up. And oftentimes we can't hear the voice of God. And we have all of these strange voices that are distracting us at best and they're destroying us at worst. And so we want you to be able to hear the voices of God. But tonight, we're going to talk about the voice of the enemy. If you're taking notes, then I've titled this message, Don't Get Scammed. Don't Get Scammed. And I want you to be able to see how the enemy uses his voice to tempt us and how that plays out in our life. So if you're new to the Bible, there's this cosmic battle between God and Satan But oftentimes we think like it's this arm wrestling match and Jesus is like sweating. and He's like, you know, doing one of these things and we don't know if he's going to win. But when you read the scriptures, we win. All right. Let me just say that real quick. That the enemy that we're up against is a defeated foe, but we're in this kind of in between space where he still has power to tempt us. He still has power to convince us that we should sin and we should get away from God. And so we live in this in-between space, but when you read the Bible, you get to get some information about Satan. Satan, his name literally means adversary or one who opposes, that Satan is an angel created by God who opposed God, so God evicted him from heaven. And Satan now spends the rest of his time hating what God loves. And let me just be real clear, God loves you. And so if God loves you and Satan hates what God loves, who does Satan hate? He hates you. And the scripture is really clear that Satan has one prerogative. It is to steal, it is to kill, and it is to destroy. And the way that he does this is through lies and deception that lead to fear and flirtation with sin. And Satan, all he can do is lie. Like like Jesus said in John 8, he's the daddy of lies. That's all he knows. And so every time Satan is speaking, you can conclude that there's a lie and there's some sort of destruction and death at the end of that promise, And so Satan, what he does is he tempts us us to sin and then he just smothers our face in it and he shames us and he accuses us when we do sin. And we see this play out from the beginning. In Genesis chapter three, God created everything up until this point. He's created Adam and Eve, our first parents, and we see the serpent or Satan begin to tempt Eve. And here's what it says in Genesis three, starting in verse one. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So Satan is speaking to this lady, and, and Satan loves to question the authority of God's word. Like the Bible at this point could have fit on a fortune cookie, y'all. God, what is God's commands? What does he want me to don't eat of this tree? And Satan begins to question even this one verse that we have that would have been the Bible at this time. And Satan, he has this uncanny ability to cause confusion in our hearts towards God's word. And that's what he's doing with Eve. And it goes on in verse 2 and it says this. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now, if you're, if you're new to the Bible, God didn't really say everything that Eve just quoted that God said. And so Eve, even though this is a perfect world, she still had problems with memory verses. Anybody ever have a problem with a memory verse, you know? Like you've been around that person, they just quote the Bible, and then you're like, well, you know, it says, in, I mean, the Bible says, you know, the Bible says that Jesus uh, <clears throat> and the, the uh, beloved, you know, and then you got other people that like get the prepositions right. They got the conjunctions right. They get every verse right, you know? But Eve, she had problems with her memory verses. One memory verse, she was struggling And what I mean by that is that God had never said you shouldn't touch this tree. And so Eve is adding to God's word, which is called legalism, that she's adding rules to what God put in place, which oftentimes paints God in a bad light. And so Eve, like she had confused God's word. And so it shows us that there's this inclination, this natural tendency in all of us to confuse, to distort, and even to complicate God's word at times. And so Satan, he knew God's word better than Eve knew God's word. And he was like, got him. And so he goes on. He says this in verse four. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. And you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Satan, he questions the authority of God's word. But then he begins to plant these questions into Eve's mind about the consequences of disobedience. Like what he's saying is like, Eve, look, come on, chill out. God God ain't gonna kill you, Eve. It won't be that bad. You should just try it once. It's gonna be okay. I promise, Eve, I promise. But he's scamming, he's scheming. And here's the lie that we've come in here and we have a tendency to believe that we can get away with our sin. Like, like some of you, you come in here and, and, and you know what God's word says. Like Like you know what God's word says about this situation but you're just choosing to disobey God in this situation. Like you know that there are some things that, that God would say, hey, that's not the best way to live your sex life. That's not the best way to live your relationship life. That's not the best way to live your mental health life. And you're, but you're still just kind of giving in to those sort of things. And you're thinking that surely God won't, you know, he won't. It won't, it won't surely it won't end well. I'll be different. And this is the lie that Eve is being convinced to believe. And that ultimately, Satan is questioning whether or not God is a good God. Like, like Satan's kind of like Eve I think God's holding out on you. I think there's something that has to do with this tree that, that, that if you ate it, then you would really know. And, like, and, and so Satan is just trying to get in her mind and listen, it's working. That Satan, he's a, he's a master scam artist. Satan, he is, he is uh, a deceitful, he's cunning, he's wicked but he's sharp and he knows you and he knows me. And so he's convinced Eve. And so Eve is like, you know, that, that makes sense. And it says here in verse six, it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And this is an important part. Says she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Because I think sometimes if, you, if you're kind of like loosely familiar with the Bible and this story, like sometimes fellows will be like, the whole reason why we got issues is because of women. You know, like we'll just start throwing women, categorically, women under the bus. Like women, they're easily deceived and they're weak-minded. You know, we'll start saying things like this. Um, Adam was right with her, guys. He was right there. Like, like he, he, heard the, the, he heard the snake too. Brother should have went out and got like a shovel and just like killed the snake like dudes do, all right? But, but he's just sitting there like, I'm, I'm just going to see what happens, you know? Yeah, go ahead and talk to my wife. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I've been wondering. I've been wondering what's going to happen. And then she eats and he's like, you know, and she's like, hey, you want to try something? And he's like, yo, you know. And so he, he was there the whole time. Some theologians would argue that the first sin ever committed was the passivity of a man. And so before we throw women under the bus, fellas, Adam was right. He was right there, right there. All right. And then it says this in verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. What I just shared with you is, the, it is the, the, the origin of sin. It's the origin of all that we know as broken and as chaotic. A lot of us, we've been tuning in to the crisis happening in the Ukraine. A war has broke out in a way that we thought it would never break out. And the reason why there's disagreements that would lead to bombs being dropped in a nation is because of sin. Th- this little decision to disobey God, it created a fracture into all that we know. The reason why there's wars, the reason why there's pandemics, the, re- the reason why there's problems in our world, the reason why you have gone through a divorce, the reason why you've gone through some sort of disease, the reason why you've gone to a funeral in your lifetime is because of sin, that Satan scammed Adam and Eve, and he tempted Eve, and he tempted Adam, and they chose to sin. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down, the voice of temptation. The voice of temptation. Again, this is how sin entered the world. Satan tempted Adam, he tempted Eve, and they fell for the temptation that Satan was scamming our first parents, and he hasn't stopped scamming since and that he is on the prowl tonight, and he is seeking to scam every one of you so that you will give in to his temptation, and you will gratify some sort of desire in an illegitimate way, and you will sin against the holy God. Now, the Bible is really clear that how, how this progression works. Like, it, we don't just read this story in Genesis 3, and everyone's like, yep, that's how it all works. No, like the biblical authors, they keep looking back to this and they, they process even their own experience and, and they're trying to help people just like you and me figure out how do we identify the voice of the enemy so that we can, we can begin to run the other way from that and we can begin to wage war against this enemy. So Jesus had a half-brother named James and he begins to kind of illustrate on this issue of temptation and how it all works and he says this in James chapter 1, verse 14. He says, but each one of us is tempted. Now, let's just stop right there. Are you tempted tonight? The answer is yes. Every one of us is tempted in some form or fashion. And so James, he's just saying, like, like Satan is not innovative, but he's effective. And he's been tempting people all throughout the ages. Like Paul, another biblical author, he would say that there's no temptation that is uncommon to man. But God will always provide a way out when we are tempted. And so James, he's just saying, like, there's, when you're tempted, here's what's going on. He says, but each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Then when, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. And so you see this progression. We get tempted because we have a desire that we want to satisfy in a sinful way. And then we give birth to that sin, and then we kind of nurture that sin, and that sin, when it gets full grown, it brings forth death. So desire leads to sin that leads to death. Let's break that down real quick. Verse 14, again, it said this, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire and enticed. Desire. That's, that's where it begins. The desire, it's not bad, but it's when we want to gratify a God-given desire in an ungodly way. Let me just say real quick, desire's not bad, all right? Like some of us, we desire, we desire chocolate cake. Praise God, right? Desire chocolate cake ain't bad, all right? And, and God has given us chocolate. and God, He didn't have to give us chocolate, but God's a good God, all right? And he's given us chocolate and desserts and, and chocolate and dessert, that's meant to bring the family together. That's meant to, that's meant to bring the community together, all right? And, and the desire to want chocolate Is not bad. But if you murdered to get chocolate, you went around it the wrong way, all right? And so the desire is not bad, but oftentimes it's how we gratify the desire. The beach is not bad. A vacation, that's not bad. It's not wrong to be like, you know what? I'd like to get away. The desire is not bad. A desire to get married someday for some of you, that's not bad, all right? Desire is not what gets us in trouble, in fact, God has given us desires. It's when we seek to gratify the desire in a way that distance us from God. It's when we seek to gratify the desire in an ungodly way. And the enemy is crafty at convincing us to go after a desire and to awaken something before it's time. See, desire is not bad. It's meant for delight, and it's meant to point to us. Or it's meant to point us to our relationship with God, and to give God praise for the thing that He's given us. The desire—it's a gift to drive us closer to people and to God. So, so your desire. Think about it, whatever your desire. Does your desire draw you closer to God, or is the way that you're trying to gratify that desire drawing you further away from God? Like, if you can't worship God with your sex life, something broke. If you can't worship God with your entertainment, something's broke. If you can't worship God with any aspect of your life, something's broke. That God has given us the pleasures and the desires to experience in a way that brings him glory. And when we choose to do that in a way that that brings him shame, then we are sinning. And so the temptation is to go after that desire in a wrong way. Like, we, we don't sin because we desire something. We sin when we seek to meet that desire in an ungodly way. Like, desire, like Eve, she, she desired this fruit, right? And, and she saw, like, oh, that fruit looks good. Like, but that's okay. Like, for her to be like, oh, that fruit looks good. There was other fruit that looked good. It was not wrong for her to want some fruit, but she wanted to eat of the fruit that she was told that she shouldn't eat of. And so she was seeking to meet that desire in an ungodly way. Desire is not the issue. It's when we are tempted to go after the desire in an ungodly way. See, temptation is the presentation of a lie. And the lie is this, that there is life in that thing. Some of y'all think that there's life in pornography. Some of y'all think that there is life in that purse. Some of y'all think that there's life in that place. And if I move to New York City, then I'll find like what I'm looking for. Some of y'all think that there's life in that person. And listen, Satan is scamming all of us to give into our God-given desires in an ungodly way that will ultimately draw us away from God. He's baiting us, y'all. James, he's using this language of like a hunter and, and, and a fisherman. Like he's saying that, that, that we're drawn away and we're enticed. It's like he's saying that Satan, he's going to bait the hook. Uh, Satan, he's going he's gonna to put out bait in the killing zone, if you will. Like, like we're being lured and baited by Satan. Y'all know that, right? And, and, like, he's created systems and schemes so that, so that, like, our culture is moving in a direction that's saying, like, you should go after this. That's where life is. And that's not true. We're being scammed. I went on a hunting trip a couple weeks ago. And down in Texas, uh, they need help managing deer called axis deer. And so my cousin, he's got these wild axis deer that I needed to go down and help him manage. All right? And so what happened was, like, he's got this herd of Deer. And they just basically come into his backyard. Like this is not like I was belly crawling and I had to like smell the antlers and like just find the urine and all. It wasn't nothing like that, all right? It was like, they're in the backyard. Y'all ready to go? All right. And so here's how it worked. He just said, yeah, come on down and uh, I'm gonna put some hay and some corn out and, and uh, you can help me manage some of these deer. I was like, all right, I'm putting the man in manage. Let's go. And <laughs> so I go down there and, uh, and I'm like, uh, what, what, oh, do we need like camo? He's like, no, what you're wearing is fine. And uh, I'm like, okay, do we need to get out there early? He's like, no, they'll show up about five. And I'm like, okay. Um, well, let me know. Y'all follow your lead. And so sure enough, some deer come into his backyard. And then the axe's deer come. And he's like, oh, we need, to go put out the, we need to go put out the hay and the corn. I'm like, are we, we going to scare them off? He's like, no, nah, it'll be all right. So we walk out there and just tromping around, you know, put the hay out, put the corn out. And I'm like, this is not how you hunt. Like, you're supposed to be like stealth and sneaky. He's like, ah, they'll be back in 10 minutes. Okay. And so what we were doing is that we were luring the deer in. We were enticing the deer with something that they desired. And the deer comes prancing in. And, and it listen, it got its hay and it, and it got its corn. But it also got my Smith & Wesson, y'all. I is that thing, okay? And so I went and listen, I managed this deer by luring it in. Some of y'all crying right now. Don't think bad of me. That's a good thing, all right? God's given us stewardship. Anyway, but my intentions were not merely to shoot a photo of the deer. My intentions were ultimately to consume the deer. See, a hunter is relentless. And the intentions of a hunter are to lure its prey into a position where it can take its life. And many of you, you don't think that Satan's a better hunter than I? You don't think that he's more ruthless than me? That the, the, the scripture tells us that Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That he's prowling around and listen, just like I'm going to put antlers on my wall, Satan is putting your faith on his wall. And he's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy you. And our enemy is relentless. And he's seeking to bait you into a place where you'll come prancing in and go, oh, there's some naked people. Oh, there's some alcohol. Oh, there's some, there's some religious rules and some gossip. Oh, I'm just gonna prance right in there. And then he's got his scope on you, ready to take you out. Now, I know I lost some of y'all with that illustration and maybe you won't be able to relate to hunting and, and um, you know any of that, that sort of thing, but you are in a bunch of debt. and And, and visa... Put out some corn and some hay. MasterCard put out some corn and some hay. Called buy now and pay later. And we're not talking about the bullet of 18% interest. We're talking about platinum. We're talking about pre approved. We're talking about everything today is on sale. Tory Burch, you can have it. Kate Spade, you can have it. And many of us, we can't relate to a hunting illustration but we know exactly the schemes and the scams of the enemy. See, the enemy's trying to pitch to you a deal, of, a deal of a lifetime so that you will disobey God and you'll deal with your sin for a lifetime. Well, the scripture goes on to say that this desire, when we give into it in an ungodly way, it leads to sin. It says here in James 1.15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. See, sin doesn't, doesn't happen when you just have a desire. Again, it's when you give in to that desire and you make a decision to defy the will of God. See, I think sometimes we think, well, I'm just a man, you know, and, and, and it's, I mean, God, that's on you for making women pretty. And I, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I just, I can't, I can't help myself. I'm, 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 just a, I'm just a red-blooded woman, God, and that's on you for, for making men look the way they do. Or I'm just a red-blooded person. It's on you, God, for, for making those purses look so nice at the plaza, or whatever it is, and we'll start putting the, the, the impetus on the temptation that's out there as to why we struggle. See, the problem isn't the external tempter. It's the internal traitor. That the reason why you and I sin is because we love it. The reason why we sin is because we make decisions to give into the temptation and gratify our desire in an ungodly way. That ultimately, the reason why I sin is because there are things that I love more than God. In the voice of the enemy, he has a way of convincing us to go after something more than God. See, no one can make you sin, sin is a choice. You can't say, well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil doesn't make anybody do anything. You and I, we, we choose. The serpent didn't force Eve's face into the tree and so say, eat it. You know, so he, he didn't do that. He, he just asked a few questions. The scammer in England wasn't like, put a gun to my back and made me go take out the money order and ship it across the country. He just said, Black MacBook, Black Beauty, here you go. I'm going to send it to you. And he just convinced me. And then I went by myself, and I did the whole thing like an idiot. And I am the one to, I can't say, well, that guy made me lose that money. No, no, Chad, you gave the money. You were fooled and you gave in. See, when we act upon our desire in a way that is not in accordance with God's will, it gives birth to this ugly baby called sin. And a lot of us, we have this little, this little sin problem. And we'll even talk of it that way. You know, I'll counsel people and and I've even said things like this about my own struggles. Well, you know, like, yeah, it's a little problem. You know, I just, I just struggle a little, a little bit. You know, yeah, I just, oh, man, I, I, uh, I, I gave in to this. Just, it's just a little thing. You know, I lie just a little bit. I drink a little bit too much. I, we went a little bit too far in our relationship. I spent a little bit too much money. It's just a little, it's just a little, it's just a little. When it's just a little sin, that's the same thing as being just a little pregnant. Like when you're just a little pregnant, what's gonna happen is you just give it a while and it's gonna start to show. And that when we give into our desire in an ungodly way, it leads us to sin. Sin separates us from God and ultimately sin leads to death. And that's what it says here in James 1 verse 15. It says, "In sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. That sin is born and once it's born, it does what babies do, it grows. And it grows stronger and that when you and I, when we feed our craving, it only makes them stronger. And I think some of us think like, okay, this is the last time. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get turned one more time this weekend. I'm gonna give into this. I'm gonna look at this one more time. And this, that's it, no more. And I'm just gonna feed this, and I'm gonna indulge in this. And when we think that we can just kind of give into sin as a way of like, I'm just gonna get it out of my system, then listen, it just gets more into our system. And, and we kind of get in this thinking that, that I'm just going gonna, gonna to go hard, and then I'm just going to stop cold turkey. Um, I don't know if y'all know what today is, but I moved here from Louisiana. In Louisiana, they take breaks this week. I mean, it's a whole week off. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a state holiday in Louisiana, and they, they lay bon roulé is what they say. Let the good times roll, because it's Mardi Gras in Louisiana. Now, if you don't know what Mardi Gras is, that's French. Woo, <clears throat> there it is. I just went through puberty again. That—that <coughs> that was my French horn. Anyway, so uh, Mardi Gras is French, all right. That's what I meant to say. Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday. And the reason why it's called Fat Tuesday is because tomorrow's Ash Wednesday, and and Fat Tuesday refers to the holiday in which you indulge, because tomorrow you're going to start Lent or you're going to start fasting from some things. And so there's this whole holiday today. So me and my family, we was eating king cake, a little baby hidden in the king cake. You know, we, we used to in Louisiana. You get beads, you get parades, and floats, and masks, purple and gold and all the stuff, right? People start losing their mind on Fat Tuesday. And it's this thing that just says, hey, if you indulge today and you indulge today, then you can starve everything tomorrow. And it feeds this idea of just one more time. This is the last time. Listen, you and I know that don't work. Like cravings, they grow when they're fed, and they die when they're starved. And if you think that I'm just going to give in to this thing one more time, listen, you are one step closer to death. I remember my dad growing up, he used to give us these bear hugs. And, like, like, my dad, he was kind of a rough man, and, and uh, he worked in shipyards and in oil fields, and, and he had three little boys, and so he had to kind of get his bluff in on us early, you know. And so our early on, I remember dad, he would give us, and he'd call it, like, come here, son, let me give you a bear hug. I'm like, ah, you know. He's like, I love you. <laughs> ah, you know. And uh, anyway, so I remember, like, getting bear hugs my whole life, but I remember one day I'd gone through puberty. I was snorting weight gainer and getting just swole, just jacked up, you know. Just kidding, I won't do that. I was just drinking it. Anyway, so like I, I was, like I was strong. And I remember one day when I was like 16, I latched onto my dad and I started giving him a bear hug. And I look at his eyes, they get real big like this. And he says, son, 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 he's about to pass out. And what my dad had given birth to had gotten stronger than him. And what he could once control and bear hug and he could dominate, he kept feeding. And there was a day when what he had given birth to, it could now dominate him. And the point I'm trying to make is this, is that many of you, you got a little baby sin in your 20s right now. And you're kind of nurturing this thing, and here's the lie that oftentimes we believe, that, that when, when, this, when this becomes a problem, then I'll deal with it. But a lot of you, you are undermining your marriage right now. Some of you are like, Why well, I ain't married. The way you're undermining your marriage is, is, is that you keep looking at pornography. You keep gratifying yourself. And what you're doing is you're you're teaching yourself to be addicted to variety. And you're teaching yourself how to have good intimacy with yourself, if you know what I'm saying. And you think that you're just gonna somehow flip a switch when you get married and everything's just gonna click and work amazing. But the way that you prepare for pleasure in marriage is that you protect your purity in your singleness. And that many of you, you are undermining your future because you're not waging war against the baby sins in your life right now. And you got to know this about Satan. He plays the long game. This is what he did with your daddy. This is what he did with your mama. The reason why my parents blew up a 17-year marriage is because something was sown into their life when they were in their 20s. And they nurtured it, and they didn't wage war against it then, and then it grew, and it became something so powerful in their life that it destroyed everything that was precious in their life. And some of you have the same story. And the enemy would want nothing more than for you to kind of coddle this little baby sin right now in this season of life so that then you would go on to the next season and you would begin to build a reputation, you would begin to build a following, maybe a family, and then he would blow it all up in your 50s. And you'd leave your wife just like your daddy left your your mama. Or you'd leave your husband just like your mama left y'all. Or you would embezzle money just like your daddy did or just like your grandfather did or just like the news story said. Satan plays a long game. And his end is for you and I to be destroyed. And so if you're being tempted tonight, you've got to fight against the temptation. See, habits, they're like trees. They get strengthened with age. And like a little baby tree you plant in your backyard, my kids, they could bend over a little baby sapling. But you give it some time, and a 100 men cannot uproot a full-grown tree. What habit are you feeding in this season of your life? See, the voice of the enemy, it's prominent tonight, y'all. And he's tempting us to fulfill our godly desires in ungodly ways so that, so that ultimately he can accuse us and condemn us. And right now, here's what's going on in your mind. I know it's going on in your mind because it goes on in my mind. You are justifying why you don't need to wage war against that sin or that temptation. And so, like, some of you, you're in a relationship, you know it's not God-honoring, but you're like, no, 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 no. like, no, like, like, well, we're in love, and like, God, he, he understands, God doesn't understand our sin. Some of you, you're justifying why you need to continue to be on certain dating apps or certain social media outlets, and you're like, you know, I, mean, I know I look at naked people on those, I know that I get into all kinds of weird relationships on those, but, you know, like, I mean, uh, I mean, now, and you're trying to justify why you can give in to that temptation, What's well, not hurting anybody. I can watch this show. It's not hurting anybody. I can spend my money this way. It's not hurting anybody. And you start, you're justifying. And we all do that. We are experts at that. And you're justifying why it's okay to disobey to God. But listen, disobedience always ends in destruction. And Satan knows this, and this is why he's tempting you. Because Satan can't send anybody to hell. You know that, right? Satan has never sent anyone to hell. Sin does. And Satan wants to convince you to give in to sin because it's sin that separates you from God. Satan is our enemy to the degree that he makes us sin. And when he makes us sin, we are living in a place of distance from God. And he wants to tempt you so that you can live under the accusations of the enemy for eternity. So Genesis 3, we see all this break out, and then we fast forward to the last book of the Bible in Revelation 12, and it gives us some more information about the enemy. And here's what it says about the enemy. We're told that the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. It says in Revelation 12, 10, for the accuser of our brethren, or the accuser of the church, God's people, who accuses them before our God day and night. He's been cast down. So it's kind of telling you what's happening in the demise of the enemy. But here's what we hear about Satan, that that Satan until this day, until he's a defeated foe and he's done forever, he's gonna spend day and night accusing you and me. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you could write this down, the voice of accusation. See, once we sin, Satan begins to pour out shame on us and he keeps us in this foggy place of condemnation where he's saying, how could you do that? And you deserve that and God doesn't love you and, 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 and you're gonna go to this place and and it's hopeless, you should just give up that Satan, he tempts us, we give in to sin and then Satan begins to whisper, you need to hide. Run, cover it up, don't tell anyone, don't go to God and this is exactly what Adam and Eve did. They sinned, Satan began to accuse them and then they covered it up in their shame and they hid from God. That Satan, he wants us to live in this place of hiding under the shame of our mess up and he wants us to live in this, this, these futile attempts of trying to cover up our shame and, and make things right before God. The last thing that the enemy wants us to do is to run to God to find forgiveness. He wants us to live in a place of beating ourselves up and belittling ourselves and thinking, man, how could you do this? That Satan, he tries to convince us that God is frustrated with us. I don't know if you have that view of God. I know for me, for a large part of my life, I would, I would, I would sin, I would mess up in some area. And I would feel like, well, I can't tell God because if he finds out, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, which is crazy because he knows everything, right? And so, like, I, I just kind of felt like if I went to God, he'd be like, come on, you know? Like, he's just looking at me like, what's wrong with you, you know? Like, yeah, I just felt like God was frustrated at me the whole time. I'm like, God, do you even enjoy me? And I just felt like God was like, no, I don't know. I tolerate you, you know? And I felt like this was the view that, that how God was viewing me. But then I read the Bible, and I realized that, that God is not against me. He's for me. And that there gives God no greater joy than when an unrighteous person comes to understand the love of the Father. That my Bible teaches that there is, there is victory that is found in Christ that my Bible teaches that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And I ran to the gospel, the gospel being the good news that Jesus gave his life from me, that he paid the price in order to purchase me in all of my mess. And that three days three days later, he rose from the grave so that I could have power over the temptation. And I could say to the enemy, you have no reign in my life anymore. And when I begin to saturate myself in the word of God, I begin to block out the voice of the enemy. I begin to learn how to preach to the enemy and how to preach to the enemy that's within my own mind see when I even think about the way I got scammed by this guy like I I, still frustrates me y'all I'm like nobody scams me yes you got scammed all right and it like I kick myself in the rear uh, even about losing that money that day and that's just a metaphor of what I believe happens in my life regularly that sometimes I don't feel like Satan needs to accuse me I accuse myself good enough well, I don't know about it, if you're anything like me, but the voice inside of my head, it's usually a negative one. And what I've learned is that if you're going to overcome the voice of the enemy, you've got to learn how to do two things. You've got to preach to yourself, and you've got to promote your testimony. What I mean by preach to yourself, this will help. There's a, a preacher named Dr. Martin Lord Jones. He preached in the late 19th century and early 20th century, and he said something like this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself? Instead of talking to yourself, he said, take those thoughts that come to you in the moment that you wake up in the morning and you have not originated them, but they just start talking to you and it brings back the problems from yesterday and how you're not good enough and how you mess that up. Somebody's talking, who's talking? He says yourself is talking to you. One of the biblical authors, he did this, he, instead of allowing himself to talk, he started by talking to himself and he said, why are you cast down, O my soul? He said, you, you, you got to quit depressing me. You got to quit crushing me. And so he, he stands up and he speaks to himself, this psalmist, and he said, you need to listen for a moment. I'm going to speak to you, self. And he was preaching to himself. Lord jones goes on to say this, that the main art in the matter of spiritual living is, is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You got to preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you so down?" What business have you to be so disquieted? He goes on, he says, you've got to turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, you need to hope in God's self instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And, And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. You defy yourself, you defy other people's voices, you defy the devil's voice, and the whole world, and you say with this man that was in the Bible, I shall yet praise God for his help and his countenance, and I will be healthy in the countenance of my God. You've got to preach to the accusations of the enemy. You've got to learn not to listen to the accusations or the lies, but you've got to understand there's power in your preaching to yourself and to the enemy. And there's power in your personal testimony. In the book of Revelation, it goes on to say in verse 11, it says this, and they overcame him. Talking about how we have have overcome the enemy We've overcome this, this scam artist. We've overcome him by the blood of the lamb. That's the work that Jesus did on the cross. And by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes tonight, not, you could write this down. The voice of celebration. Let me just say this really clear. Even though the enemy may have you down and he may have you cornered, that if you would put your faith in Christ, you win. The enemy is a defeated foe that we read early on in Genesis in the first book of the Bible that chaos was unleashed in this world. But by the conclusion of the Bible, when you read the back part of this book, we win. That the ultimate voice I want you to hear ringing in your mind as you leave this place tonight is not a voice of like, dang, I'm getting tempted and I'm struggling and I'm getting accused and I'm condemned. I want you to hear if you put your faith in Christ, the victory is yours to lay hold of. And it's the voice of celebration. See, the Bible's clear. Satan is a defeated foe. And listen, when the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you just remind him of his future. And one of the primary ways that we do that is through the word of our testimony. It's through sharing about how we came to Christ and the way that he worked mightily on our behalf. And tonight, I thought it'd be fitting to have somebody share their testimony. And the way all this came about was simply a, a man of God that I get to work with. He shot me an email yesterday and he's like, Man, I don't know if this makes sense, but I just feel like the voice of God is telling me that I need to share my testimony with the young adults. Now, most of the time, if that happens, if I don't know you, I'm like, All right, let's get together and let's just kind of vet this thing out, right? But, but I work with this brother and I've heard his testimony. And so I called him, I said, how about tomorrow night? <laughs> He's like, that was quick, you know. But I've heard his testimony, and I thought that it would speak clearly into some of the things we've been talking about tonight. And so if you would put your hands together and invite my friend to the stage, Marcus Penwell. silver box. Right there. Yes.
1: All right, well, we're starting off right. I got the microphone working, so that's good. Um, for the first time, I've not been given a time limit on my testimony, so you're getting the full story. It all started in the second grade. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It, it, I fast forward from there. So it was, in fact, in the second grade, um, one of my best friend's dad who was a police officer, visited our class. And, uh, oh man, I was in all shiny badge, belt full of tools, Uh, law man, big smile on his face. I just looked at him like he was the king. And from that moment on, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a police officer or anything in my life. It was my dream and I was gonna do it. And so in 2003, I, I made that dream a reality. Came a police officer, got my shiny badge, got my uniform, got my f- tool full of, or my belt full of wonderful tools. But about eight months into it, I realized not everybody looks at me like uh, I looked at that guy in my second grade class. In fact, most of the people that I encountered didn't like me at all. They didn't like me before they knew me. I was spit on, had blood spit on me, had guns pointed at me. I was punched. I was in more fights than I had been in my entire life in those first eight months. And in my personal life, I lost a long-term girlfriend who decided that the hours and the risk was not worth it. Found out after she left that she had terminated a pregnancy. And I fell into a hole. And I started getting tempted. And those temptations included heavy alcohol use. I became a functioning alcoholic. I had a bar near my house where I was staying and I knew the exact route. I could go to the bar and I could get drunk and I I knew all these back roads where I could drive and never pass anybody. And then came the desire and the temptation for women. Any women, lots of women, it didn't matter. And if I couldn't find a woman at the bar to pick up, then I fell into pornography. And I just continued and continued to fall. Because that is what I was hearing. That's what I, I believed was filling that hole. And it came to a head one night. Left the bar, came home, continued drinking when I got home. And it ended with my gun in my mouth with the hammer cocked. And the last thing I remember is crying as I pulled the hammer back on the gun. And then I woke up the next morning, gun still on my chest, hammer cocked. And I had to go to work. So I cleaned myself up, I went into work, did my regular shift coming out of shift for the very first time I'm walking out to my car hearing only what I wanted to hear and I was fully intended on finishing what I had started the night before I was thinking about what am I going to drink and how much do I need to drink so that I'll still be able to finish what I started the previous night and it was in that moment that I heard for the first time the voice of God, but it wasn't the voice of God. It was the voice of a very dear friend of mine that started the sheriff's office with me. And I heard him from behind. He said, "Hey, Marcus, how's it going? What's what? You seem off today." I said, "Uh, you know, good. You know, things are rough, but you know, we're 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 cops. That's how it goes." He goes, "No, no, no, no. This seems different." He said, "Why, why don't you come?" Sit in my truck with me for a minute. I said, okay. You know, what could hurt? He's a friend of mine. We talk all the time. And for the first time in my entire life, I had this person sitting in front of me, and he wasn't telling me what I needed to do, what I needed to believe, that, that if I didn't do this, fire was going to rain down on me, I was going to end up in the depths of hell. He wasn't saying any of that. He just simply said, Let me tell you how I changed my life. Because he had been a troubled teen. He had been a heavy drinker. He was a pastor's kid, so he had done his share. And he said, Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Let me tell you what accepting Christ and, and having faith in God has done for me. And we sat three hours. And for three hours, that's what he told me. And he answered every dumb question that I asked without judgment and in love. And it was all the questions that everybody asked, whether they're a non-believer or they're just starting out in their faith. You ask those questions. Why, Why did God take this person from me? Why does God allow suffering in the world? He answered every one of them. and it started to make sense. And we sat, and his voice is what I heard on the drive home. He invited me to his dad's church. A week later, I went to his dad's church, and I prayed the prayer of salvation. I let God into my life. And let me tell you, There's not a day that goes by that I don't pray and thank God for bringing Jason into my life that day. Because I was about to be that faith on the wall. In fact, I was about to have my head on that wall. Has my life been perfect since then? No. But as Chad just said, I've won. I met my wife. I've got two beautiful kids. God saved my life twice on the job since then. I've been shot, I was shot three times. Within inches of losing my life, God saved me. He said, I'm not done with you. So I've won. And so I want you to know that Chad's right, you're gonna hear that voice. But once you start to hear God's voice and you start to listen and you start to dig into your faith, it is so much, so much sweeter. And you win. And I believe that I have won even more because I'm standing on this stage and I know that someone in this room Maybe you're not to the place that I was. But I was your age when this happened. And so I know how quick it is to get to that place. And so maybe, just maybe my story, this is a starting point for you. It's a starting point to say, yeah, maybe I ought to take a moment and try to hear another voice. And I promise you, if you do, you'll win. So if that's you, or if it's not, I'm, I, I just want to take a moment and pray for everybody. I want to pray for everybody in this room. And if you're that one person, I hope that you'll pray with me and ask for that voice to come into your life for you to start hearing it. So let me just take a moment. Lord God, I I just thank you so much. Thank you so much for the blessing that you've been in my life. Thank you so much for the blessing that you are and will continue to be in the lives of everyone in this room. And Lord, I ask that you would come into their lives tonight, that you will drown out the voice of Satan and that your voice will be enhanced so loudly that it's the only one that they can hear. And Lord, whatever the struggle is, whatever the desire is, whatever the temptation is that they are dealing with, I know that we all deal with it, but show them the clarity that you showed me. Show them the grace that you showed me. Bring into their life a Jason that could show them how glorious it is to allow you into their hearts and have you in their life. Lord, I just pray that as we leave here tonight, that is the seed that's planted in their hearts and in their minds and I just thank you so much I thank you so much for the young people in this room because the fact that they are here is a blessing it shows me that they are in headed in the right direction and that they are seeking you and Lord I'll just continue this prayer that you will shower them with your love and grace, that you will make each day a little bit better and that you will heal them a little bit each day in whatever way they need heal, And that in the end, they will come out gloriously risen with you as their father. I pray all these things in your precious name.